the body is so unique in its ability to heal. And when we exercise, it's like the body has its own pharmacy. It creates its own pain relievers. It creates its own anti-inflammatories. Yep. So why wouldn't it create its own antidepressants? There's, there's a proper keto diet and then one I call the Americanized keto diet. Proper ketogenic diet is a lot of plants, a lot of that stuff right there. It has your fats basically coming from things like nuts and seeds and avocados, and it has a small amount of protein. It was used historically to uh, remedy things like epilepsy. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the old classic Christmas story, It's a Wonderful Life, right? But but in that movie, there was a run on the banks, right? And it's like, oh my word, nobody had any, any cash. Well, this actually is happening in real life, and it won't be a wonderful life, right? It's becoming more and more common that research is beginning to show that exercise is as effective for depression or even more effective for depression than medication. I find that interesting because, you know, something that we've known for a long time, it's almost like studies are finally catching up with reality or studies are finally catching up with fact, you know, and it's it seems like it does run behind because nobody would argue with this statement is when you go exercise moderately, I, I should say, you're going to feel better, right? The body is so unique in its ability to heal. And when we exercise, it's like the body has its own pharmacy. It creates its own pain relievers. It creates its own anti-inflammatories. Yep. So why wouldn't it create its own antidepressants? What's funny, and this is probably going back 25 years ago, I had read this little tiny study, and it was comparing exercise against Prozac. <laughs> yeah, honest to goodness. And I, and I laughed about it when I, when I read this recent one, because in that study, it showed that the metabolism of the adrenaline, you know, that precursor to cortisol, was, was massively tied to just daily exercise. And so they were using this study layout where they had people that were just taking Prozac and people that were exercise and they were sort of tracking their level of adrenaline. Not the best layout, but it, it sort of proved a point, didn't it? Absolutely. If you think about what is actually in some of the pharmaceutical antidepressants, they are helping the body use more of what it actually makes yep. on its own, like norepinephrine and epinephrine, which are antidepressants. So if, yeah. if exercise has been shown to be more effective than medication for treating depression, doesn't it make sense that we should be putting that in place as one of the primary things that we should do every day? Well, it's common sense because you got this thing called dopamine. Everybody knows there's such a thing as a runner's high or a exercise high or even a business deal high. That's dopamine. It's interesting that epinephrine and norepinephrine are downstream metabolites of dopamine. So science, again, is is confirming what we already knew, that what you do to bring about joy or satisfaction or sort of achievement 
is something that's going to help your mood. It's interesting. You know, I think people today, instead of getting to the doctor and getting an antidepressant, the doctor should probably go take them out for a long walk. Uh, if that would be possible, I think we'd find some resolve in that. So if we give the body what it needs, which would be a good dose of exercise, it could be much more effective in combating one of the main reasons why people go to the doctor, and that's that blue mood, that yeah, thing called depression. It's fascinating, you know, depending on what study you look at, one in four Americans right now around our country are on antidepressant. One in four. And you think about, what does that do? We don't think about the congruent nutrient pullouts, right? And what that means for the person. Do they become dependent upon it? It depends, right? Can you get them off of it? That depends also. But what about doing something to prevent having to get them on in the first place? And, and I think, I know you'd probably agree, is that why is medication the first line option when common sense should be the first line option? And common sense tells me, hey, get off your backside and go exercise. And help your body make and do what it should for itself instead of uh, asking for a pill for an ill. That's yeah. just a Band-Aid. And exercise gets blood, oxygen, and nutrients to the tissue as well as helping the system make its own antidepressants. Well, and even today, we exercised before we came here you know, for the show, right? So we do we it did. every day, and, and we've been doing it probably every day. I was thinking <laughs> back. I don't know if this is insanity. I don't know what this is, but I, I was Dedication. thinking for the last 40 years, I've probably only missed a handful of days, you know, and maybe two handfuls at the most. Or less. 40 years, and, and I track it. You know, last year, I don't think I missed maybe a handful of days, maybe two or three, if any. Um, but I've, I've learned over time from a personal standpoint that if I don't do something physical or something exercise, I don't feel as good. Like So whatever that is, it's true. It works for us as well. So that's the absence of well-being that you experience when you don't exercise. Well, probably, or the absence of achievement, you know, the absence of, of getting that thing done that I know is good for me. Maybe the absence of dopamine, right? And so... Exercise, I think, would be a good way to lean someone towards a, a better addiction, you know, instead of addiction to, you know, food or drama or trauma or negativity, which, hey, many people are today. But the, the bottom line is I think people should move more, sit less. And the only day you don't move is the day you're dead. And the only day you don't exercise is the day you're dead. I mean, if we kind of had that mentality, we'd probably be a little better off. And how many days a week should we exercise? Well, I think it's like every day. For every day <laughs> like that you want to eat, you yeah, need it's to just, exercise. I mean, I just think it's every day because, you know, it, the body is made to ambulate, to move. Like our legs are made to do more than sit over a chair, and our arms are made to do more than just do a fork curl with, with like, or a, a spoon curl with some cereal. No, we're made to move. And like, you know, got this nice plants here, you know, our hunter-gatherer ancestors had to move to go gather that kind of stuff. They had to reach, they had to dig, they had to, to, to walk to find those things. And so, you know, interestingly enough, we have everything handy for us today, but we don't move enough. And so I think you said a long time ago, the, the lack of exercise is really the new smoking. 
Yes, sitting is the new smoking. It's kind of like if you're sitting too much, you become toxic. Toxicity can be a reason for blue mood or depression. So more exercise does a body good. More exercise gets that oxygen nutrients to the brain. It's going to get rid of that crazy thing we call depression. So long and short is I'm not surprised at the study at all. And you shouldn't be surprised either because we need to move more Sit, sit less. less. And if we do that, we'll find ourselves, at least from a brain or depression standpoint, feeling a, a whole lot better. What is keto anyway? Is it good? Is it bad? Find out next. Have there ever witnessed any miracles in your lives about anything that you would think of that could be along the same kind of line if you had any kind of parallel with it? I guess like my mom and I moved into the country, you know, that was like a big gamble. We moved uh, on the 4th of July, so our anniversary is coming up on on moving here. And then that was a huge gamble that she took. I was four, so I didn't realize what it was. But I don't think if we stayed in Hungary, I would be here right now making this movie, you know? So, So I guess that's the closest in my life that I have to like kind of a miracle that I didn't know was was gonna happen, happen. For me, um, I actually, when I was like five or six, something like that, I had some kind of disease with like my kidneys that uh, is like super rare and they only study about in med school, but they never really saw a case. So I had it. So I had like doctors from all over like the States kind of coming in and looking at me. Wow. And I, uh, I technically died for like 10 seconds, I flatlined. Whoa! Yeah, my mom went out to grab a, a Buzz Lightyear VHS that I really liked. And when she came back, it was like complete flatline. And uh, I, I, I saw an angel that day, which was pretty crazy because uh, the first thing I said to my mom apparently was that um, there was a really nice man with uh, blonde hair and blue eyes, like saying it's okay. Wow. Yeah, so that's pretty crazy. That's insane. And I'm also so glad I went first. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't have been able to top that. Wow. (laughs) It's amazing. And when you navigate through these these economies with people, here's, here's what happens. We want to hold their hand through it. Let them know when it's time to buy, sell, reallocate, get out of Dodge. Because a lot of times when you're struck with fear, Fear does two things. Number one, it can paralyze, and and people just put their head in the sand and say, I'm just gonna forget about it and hopefully it gets better. Or it causes you to make a wrong decision. And this is why we are here, is to help people navigate through the political quagmire nonsense that's going on, the economic malaise and the absolute collapse that we're seeing. And when our freedoms are eroding, our political freedoms, our economic freedoms, our personal freedoms, our religious freedoms, our health freedoms. They're all tied together, but you know what doesn't need to erode with that? Our finances. KirkElliottPhD.com forward slash Sherwood. Exploring biohacking, bioharmonizing, biosynergizing, stacking, resilience, or anti-fragility. Start here. No gimmicks, just proven results. You know, I find it interesting that every single 
a week or month or year that goes by, there's another fad diet that becomes popular. And as of late, the one that has been rising to the top of the list and become overly popular is this thing called the keto diet. And as the keto diet has been out there more and more and more, we're starting to see that there really is a link between an increased risk and heart of heart attack or stroke. Now, of course, that's going to be a certain type of keto diet. Well, it's funny you mentioned certain type. There's there's a proper keto diet, and then one I call the Americanized keto diet. Uh, this can tell the difference. This is funny. You know, you can look back at history of the ketogenic diet, which is. Typically, the common factor of both, low carbohydrates. Proper ketogenic diet is a lot of plants, a lot of that stuff right there. You know, it's a lot of those above-ground, non-root, low-glycemic vegetables. Non-starchy stuff. That's right. And so it's a bunch of that. It has your fats basically coming from things like nuts and seeds and avocados, and it has a small amount of protein. It was used historically to uh, remedy things like epilepsy. And then, of course, it went out of mainstream once medications came on board. So you go back and find the ketogenic-oriented diet, early 1900s, and it was used to uh, reverse type 2 diabetes. That's proper ketogenic diet. Now, Americans are infamous or famous, however you want to look at that, for taking something that's pretty good and, well, just making it what they want it to be and then justifying it. American version of ketogenic diet is a lot of bacon and sausage and cheese and making the casserole and don't eat any vegetables. Uh, that's what they're talking about in that study. So they've even misdefined the idea of ketogenic diet based upon that study because that's not ketogenic diet. That's something else. That's a high-fat, high-processed fat diet, which is just, well, it's not going to do any good for the body. Well, and it's interesting. If we draw blood off of an individual right after they've eaten a very high-fat diet, the serum looks like fat. It's just, it looks like milk. And what we don't do in mainstream medicine is we don't draw blood right after a a fatty meal. We wait till somebody's completely fasted and cleaned up their blood. So we don't get to really see the true effects of what's coming in the gut and going through the system after some of these high fat diets. Now, if a person is on a ketogenic diet, there's a very low percentage of people that can likely genetically even handle the amount of fat that's coming in from something that's just, like you said, sausage that's and right. bacon and uh, butter and oils. It's not just that we're not saying that fat's bad. Right. Make sure you know that. It's not that fat's bad. Fat is good. You need to eat fat, but it needs to come from proper sources. Trans fat, hydrogenated fats, no, don't do Out. that. But those are in the typical standard American ketogenic options. And and that's it. Yeah, and it's like the reason that quote-unquote diet works or most diets work, whether it be, you know, lion diet, which is basically that right there, or um, Mediterranean or the DASH diet or, or all these things, it's because we remove the garbage. When you remove the garbage, of course it's going to work, right? If you keep the carbohydrates fairly low from a low glycemic source, of course it's going to work. So people do get benefits. But in this case, with the study you're talking about, of course it led to higher cardiovascular and cardiac disease risk. Of course, because it didn't have the things that bring cardiac protection, which are the polyphenols in the plants. So in terms of ketogenic, let's 
clarify what is good. It's going to be yep. semi-Mediterranean, which is plants, lots of plants. The system needs fiber. It needs phytonutrients. It needs the uh, uh, the polyphenols. Yep. It needs all of those things to help do a body good. It needs less sugars, processed things, and the right types of fat, those being monounsaturated, polyunsaturated fats in the yep. right proportion for the person that's consuming a ketogenic diet. Yeah, and the other aspect of that, that's right, and the ketogenic diet, I mean, I think it's probably wise for people to understand what that is. So when the body doesn't have these carbohydrates to turn to glucose, okay, which is good. Our bodies are not designed to run primarily from glucose. Key point. So when the body is relatively low in glucose, right, and we burn those stores out through our liver and our muscles, the body can in turn convert some of these fats into these ketones. Right. Now, ketones, hence the ketogenic diet, are nothing but short-chain fatty acids that can be used to fuel the body in place of the glucose. In fact, I believe the brain prefers ketones. The brain does, and it's fascinating. And like, the heart. I'm sure people have heard of like uh, TBIs or traumatic brain injuries from football players. You know, when their brain goes into a, an injury state, shock state, it shocks and it doesn't use glucose as well. So it, your body starts immediately producing ketones. And so wouldn't it be good to do the proper ketogenic diet all the time for everybody? And then even for athletes, maybe a little supplementation with perhaps exogenous ketones, right? That would be a smart move, I think, right? Well, if you look at the hunter-gatherers back in the day, they were living off the land. They didn't have all the hydrogenated oils, the trans fats. They, yeah. they weren't soaking their meat in, in, in oils and marinating them. They were eating off the land. So in essence, that's a semi-ketogenic Mediterranean, proto Mediterranean protocol that's rich in all the polyphenols, the phytonutrients, the fiber, and the right kind of fats that do a body good. Yeah, and so the, the best diet, if you get down to it, I, I kind of call it the Noah principle. You know, when Noah hopped off the boat, yeah. you know, with him and his yeah. family, you know, and our genes have changed only 2% in 10,000 years. You know, God told them to just basically eat, well, that stuff yeah. and what's in the it land. It processed, so, it's fresh. Yeah, if you can't find in a, you know, out in nature in that proper form, it's probably not food anyway. So we probably need to avoid it. So long and short of that is, is that Americanized ketogenic is dangerous but when you eat real food and proper ketogenic mediterranean ish style it's going to be beneficial and it takes time to chew these things yeah instead of inhaling them like oftentimes we do when we eat the standard american kind of food mess so eat real food that's the moral of that story up next our financial guru kirk elliott gives us advice on what you need to know at this time in history Hey friends, you already know the answer to this, but we'll ask you anyway. If you stay away from your favorite junk food for a month and then go back to supersizing it, will your health improve? Well, that's the thing about change. To change, we have to be as consistent as possible. And when we go back to an old habit, it's not the end of the world. We just get back at the new habit. Before you know it, real transformation is evident to you and others. That's why we offer a bunch of helpful bonuses when you subscribe to Kingdom Fuel. Kingdom Fuel is our complete nutritional meal shake. It's the simple start to a transformed life and we'll auto ship every month so you don't run out. You'll receive two free shaker cups, free access to our video courses, and a monthly call with us filled with practical inspiration. 
just see the link below or on your screen and subscribe today. Hey there, Kevin Sorbo here. Now, deep down, we know this. We're, we're more than just a brain and a body. We're a spirit, we're a soul, and we're also a physical temple. If you hit the wall when you're trying to improve one aspect of your being, it's probably because, well, other aspects are sabotaging our success. So that's why diets don't work. And frankly, why so much conventional wisdom from our so-called medical establishments falls flat. Doctors Michelle and Mark Sherwood have a very different approach. I should know because I happen to be one of their patients. They address the whole person to get to know you, your challenges, and more importantly, what your goals are. Then they offer a complete plan that addresses your unique biology and your heart. They'll help you discover what you need to experience transformation. So find out more at Sherwood.tv slash Sorbo. That's Sherwood.tv slash Sorbo, or see the link before. Now I'm heading for a workout. You should be going for a workout too. All right, guys, God bless. Everybody, Dr. Kirk Elliott here, and thanks, Mark, for for having me on. Um, interesting topic today because it's it's a scary topic for everybody that has funds in the bank, right? So, I don't know how many of you have ever seen the old classic Christmas story, "It's a Wonderful Life," right? But but in that movie, there was a run on the banks, right? And it's like, oh my word, nobody had any any cash. Well, this actually is happening in real life, and it won't be a wonderful life, right? So. So the FDIC, um, the, the Federal Depository Insurance Corp, right? There, when you have a bank account, a checking account, savings account, your bank accounts are what? They're insured up to $250,000, right? So we all feel safe, right? We all feel safe that our bank accounts should be safe, right? They're not tied to the stock market. They're not tied to the bond market, or are they, right? Because what does the bank do with your funds? They lend it out, right? So so they used to be that every hundred dollars you would deposit, they would keep ten dollars back, and they would loan out ninety bucks, right? So it was a ten percent reserve requirement. Well, during COVID, the banks, all banks in America, from the Federal Reserve, said reserve requirement is zero, so they don't have to keep any money on hand at all, zero, right? Oh my word, they could be ripe for for a bank run, right? So. They also did one other thing. This happened last year. Also what happened last year was they they actually took, the Fed took $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banking system via a mechanism called a reverse repo mechanism, which just means they gave all banks these worthless US treasuries and stripped cash out. So they took out two and a half trillion. They made a 0% reserve requirement, meaning banks don't have anything on hand. So their, their, their liquidity is like minimal. But then in November of, of 2022, 
a meeting was held at the FDIC, and this video just came out uh, this first end of the first week in January. It was a video of their meeting. It wasn't intended for public consumption because these FDIC officials were talking, and what were they saying? We can't let the public know about this at all. Now, the bankers, they need to know what's happening in the markets and the impending collapse. And see, Mark, words have meaning, right? So impending collapse, they weren't talking about a collapse that might happen somewhere down the road, an impending collapse of the markets and the public can't know about what they're talking about in this meeting because that would have come with unintended consequences. It's like, what in the world were they talking about? So what they're talking about is the FDIC is running out of money. So we all think we have $250,000 insurance coverage. We don't because there's $9 trillion of, of our money in the banking system. $9 trillion, okay? They have $125 billion covering $9 trillion. That's 1.388%. So the FDIC only has 1.388% of all of our deposits covered. No wonder the FDIC officials, when they didn't know they were being recorded, said, we can't let the public know about this because it would come with unintended consequences, which would be what? A run on the banks. And how much banks do how much money do banks have? Zero. Zero percent reserve requirement. And they stripped two and a half trillion out. So so this is where. What do we do? I mean, seriously, what do we do when when our banks aren't even safe? And and you and I have spoken in the past, Mark, about stock market collapse, bond market collapse, and and a lot of times people just put their money in the banks when they want it safe, and they just want to sit on the sideline. That's not even a good option now, right? With with the banking system in in complete shambles, no liquidity, and now FDIC, the insurance coverage is so underfunded. They only cover 1.388%. So what do we do? What you and I have been talking about for months now, go into tangible assets like gold and silver. It's your safe haven. It's the flight for quality that we all need in times like this. Because here's the growth that we've seen. Asset protection, first and foremost, we need to protect everything we've worked so hard to accumulate. Silver and gold are the safest assets in the planet because they're things and things go up with inflation. But over the last 13 weeks, silver's up almost 40%. It was, it was let's see, three months ago. So, you know, 12, 12 13 weeks. It was $17.97 an ounce. Today, it's well over 24. It's up almost 40%. But 12 weeks doesn't make a trend. So let's look back further. Two and a half years, silver was $11.91 an ounce in March of 2020. Now it's up to 20, over 24. That's up 98% in two and a half years, averaging 38% year growth. That is amazing. In a time like this, when, when we're all concerned about stock markets collapsing, bond markets collapsing, we're losing equity in our houses, we can have a smile on our face like I always do because we can have something good. There's hope and there's light at the end of this tunnel. If you do the right thing, reallocate into silver or gold, tangible silver or gold, and we can help you with that.